Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up from the kitchen, guys? How's everybody doing? Oh, yeah. So for those who don't know, we uh, are recording in the kitchen because we lost our recording studio a couple of ways back because construction-y things are happening. But Yeah, we're on our way to a bit bigger and better times. But in the meantime, it's a very comfortable kitchen and uh, the sound quality is pretty good. So, what, you know, what's going on there? Yeah. So today we have the wonderful Corbin Hausler guesting on the podcast from Brainstorm Brewery and Magic Judging and MTG Price and other things that I'm assuming he'll tell me about right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, absolutely. This is we've only done what one actual finance episode. Is that right, guess? We've done two, I think. Did we do two? I mean, where we had Chaz we had on Chaz, a while back and then I thought we just did one, uh, like an actual, that was like a full finance. It was, I think this, this is going to be a full finance episode, so this will be our second full one, I think. Okay. If we're wrong, people on Twitter correct us. Yeah. Speaking of which, at the MMCast, follow us on Twitter. Yeah, I'm at Ben subtle, Bateman Media. Subtle plug. And I'm uh, at Kess Wiley. Corbin? Yeah, it's at chossler 88 Perfect. Chossler. Chossler, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do read it Chossler, but I also still read Island as Island in my head, so we're just going to move on. <laughs> but you also can, like, you're weird because you can play your magic cards in, like, both directions and, like, look at a hand with four up and three down and just, like, not even flinch. Oh, yeah. Just, oh, my gosh. Um, no way. I live this has chaos. to be lands on the left and then converted mana costs left to right. It's the only way to do it. He's the most, he's the most meticulously accurate, disorganized person I've ever met in my life. Like ridiculous, <laughs> like like th- that's a perfect example. Upside down magic cards, and it's just like that describes my desk at work actually. As yeah, well. <laughs> he's like Goodwill hunting over here. My girlfriend can't stand to be at the <laughs> office because she like sees my desk and starts freaking out, wanting to f- clean it. And I'm like, no, I know where everything is. Don't touch anything. Yeah, it's pretty good. All right, so today we're talking about finance, and yeah. then we'll be doing a deck tech. So we haven't done a deck tech in a couple weeks, but uh, today we're doing the mono blue turns. Yeah, the mono blue turns. That's a uh, it's a pop. Popular new one, um, which we'll get into later. All right, so what's going on in finance right now? Kind of a bunch of crazy stuff. <laughs> Basically everything. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. guess so. It's been a hectic it's, week, uh, right? Like a really hectic week. Yeah, it's really nuts. Uh, this generally the first three months of the year uh, are you when you see the most growth in magic cards, and with the modern pro tour coming up in February. Uh, it, it wouldn't really be a surprise to see a lot of growth. You know, you'd sort of think, you know, January through March, April, you see a bunch of stuff go up, um, and whatever does well at the Pro Tour go up. Right. Instead, basically everything started going up right around Christmas, and it hasn't stopped. Uh, and I know we'll touch on a lot of them, but there's been a lot of, you know, whether you want to call them buyouts or price corrections or what, uh, like Gaddick Teague, I have Ugin, Eldrazi Temple, Glenelandra Archmage, Stoneforge Mystic, everything is just going um, going wild right now uh, in, in the realm of finance. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out over the next couple months, but there's definitely a lot happening right now. We, we recently talked about Stoneforge Mystic at length on the podcast, and we had a, a full discussion about what the consequences of unbanning it would be, and uh, that's definitely one I've had my eye on. 
Uh, the other stuff, I think a lot of those cards you mentioned reference an Eldrazi deck that's out there now, Black White Eldrazi deck. So there's always, I mean, you can tie them to things, but I'm sure. Yeah, so some... so I kind of have like maybe the the few different reasons I think vaguely into four categories of why things are going up. So why don't we start with you know Stoneforge Mystic and friends and talk about like uh, there's a chunk of bandless speculation going on right now. Yeah, so it seems like the two or the three things that seem to be on everybody's minds are Stoneforge Mystic, Serum Visions, and something to do with with Amulet. Right, that's like the three. Kinda. I would say Bloodbraid Elf, maybe Stoneforge Mystic, and Amulet are the ones that... Serum Visions is just in our minds? That's yeah, not, I that's think not that's, a common that's 100% thing? A, oh, a Monsters of Modern podcast conversation. I don't think Serum Visions is being banned this year. Hmm. Okay. Corbin? Yeah, I, I am of the opinion that Stoneforge Mystic will be unbanned and that Summer Bloom will be banned. Um, maybe they unban Sword of the Meek. I don't know. Um, but I, I definitely, I actually think, and I've sort of talked myself into it over the past couple of weeks, but I think Stoneforge is coming off. Yeah, we, I would agree with you. I think that seems pretty likely. Sword of the Meek seems really unlikely to me. That's, that's one of those, uh, it's, well, I think at the same time, that sounds, yeah, that sounds pretty dangerous right. at the same time. I could see one or the other and Stoneforge Mystic is a fairer strategy. I always think, I mean, Bloodbraid Elf to me has always been the card that shouldn't be on the ban list. And I think the interesting thing about it coming off with Stoneforge Mystic yeah. is it both gives Junk and Junt different reasons to exist. Right. Where if just Stoneforge come off, everyone starts just leaning very heavily on Abzan. But if both come off, you have like a weird uh, decision tree of which one is better and which metagame and which reason why. And may, Maybe. It, it, does Colgon's Command not do that? It does to a certain extent. Um. Yeah. I mean. Well, I think. I mean, Colgan's command. We've talked about it on the podcast. Is the reason Stoneforge Mystic is possible exactly. is po- like right. capable of being unbanned in the first place. Just because. Right. Just for. Just for like a number of reasons. I mean, the biggest of which is like it, depending if you're on the player, if you're on the draw. I mean, the the fact that if they play Stoneforge and you've been on the play and then you hit three mana, they've searched for their batter skull and you play it and you just two damage your Stoneforge Mystic, make you discard a card, and then it's like, all right, well, you just. You have I just traded my card and you have a batter skull in your hand for later in the game. Like it's not that bad. It's like that's you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean we don't have to go deep into because we eventually will, especially if it gets unbanned. Yeah. Uh, and the Stoneforge Mystic in the format, but because Stoneforge Mystic has been unbanned or is even being talked about, it's gone up in price. But also batter skull has now gone up in price, though there's a little bit of tentativity around that because it could be banned alongside Stoneforge Mystic being unbanned. That's on the list of possibilities. You think they would ban Batterskull because Stoneforge is legal? I think they think. I definitely think they thought about it. I just think if you do that, then it's like it makes it makes the unbanning of Stoneforge so much less exciting. It's I mean, Batterskull is the number one reason that Stoneforge Mystic is so nuts. Well, before Batterskull was printed, it's still dominated with Sword of Feast and Famine. Like getting one of those swords is very strong. It's good, which is also why those swords are also going up in price. Yeah, it's good, but it's nowhere it's nowhere near the same level to me, personally. Yeah, I, well, I think that having Stoneforge legal over Batterskull, you know, when when the format first existed, if rather than banning Stoneforge, they banned Batterskull, you could certainly do more. You know, it you, there's a lot more Stoneforge can do in the format than just get Batterskull, but Batterskull basically is only ever got played with Stoneforge. I mean, it's a one-of sometimes now uh, in decks, but... Well, There's just more room with Stoneforge than there is with Batter Skull. I think pre Colgan's command, it was kind of like the non red blue uh, Karanos, where exactly. in decks yep. that didn't have the man, you, know, you weren't playing red blue, you could play it as a similar type of card. Uh, now that Colgan's command, though, exists, it 
is just not right. good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's the I, other thing is. Well, go, go ahead, go ahead. I'd be scared to see the Bloodbraid Elf come off the list just because of Bloodbraid Elf and the Call Against Command. Bloodbraid Elf and the Liliana too. Uh, basically, it just. Well, but uh, it was it, doing that before. The the issue there it, was death rage and it got banned. <laughs> right. True. Yeah, I mean right. that that like, to me. Yeah, Blood, Bloodbraid Elf is one of those cards that like I didn't. I, I was always of the mind, that, same with you, Kessler, that, that really Deathrite Shaman was the problem, and Bloodbraid Elf was good, but it's still a four drop. I mean, it's still a turn four card. So, like, you know, I, I, I guess I'd be more concerned about it hitting Kologon's Command than Liliana, because Kologon's Command is already so backbreaking. Well, it's like half the, the better time. version of Blightling. Blightling. Plus, yeah. you can, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Bloodbraid Elf being on the fan list doesn't look good. It doesn't aesthetically feel good because it's, you know, not really. It doesn't look like a broken card on the surface, but in context, it's just so absurd. It's sort of like uh, uh, it's a base. I mean, it's like when the cattle was on the ban list, but they took that off. So uh, but I would compare it nowadays to like Green Sun Zenith, you know, Green Sun Zenith by itself looks like a card that, you know, it's not inherently broken. It's not, uh, you know, this vicious combo piece or anything. It's just a generically good card. Right. Uh, well, here's a question. Uh, but oh. I also think the format's healthier with it being banned and i feel the same about blood braid here's a question for you uh speaking of colagon's command okay what do you do about that card finance wise long term because it you know that it's not going to get any worse in modern so modern season's coming in theory that card will be a little more expensive as modern season crests which card colagon's command oh, okay but i mean when it's out of standard is it going to sink is it going to maintain and then long term is that card just going to start going up? I mean, it's a four of in one of the best decks in the format, and it's a two to four of in one of the second best decks in the format. Right. What do you so do right now, card? yeah. So right now, Colagon's Command's at an all-time high uh, of, of around thirteen dollars, and it's really weird because it is played in standard, and it is from Dragons of Tarkir, and it's basically right at the height of its standard play. Right. Uh, so when it comes to something like this, when Modern Season comes around now. Uh, you know, over the next six months or nine months or whatever it is, I would not be surprised to see it spike and maybe it goes 16, 17, maybe even $20. In which case, you'd be happy that you have yours now. And if you plan on needing them for modern season, you should probably get them. Right. If I'm looking at the long term of the card, though, I do think it will be less expensive than it is right now. Interesting. So you think, like, long term, like, let's just say a year and a half from now, that card would be like seven, eight dollars? It's also, you have to hedge against the risk. This card, because it's legal for another uh, nine months in standard, this could be in the next event deck, you know, or the the intro deck. They can, there's a lot of risk to it right now. And the the reward, you know, there's no way it can basically go higher than 20, uh, I would say, at the peak. So you're looking to save. Maybe, you know, if you were to just buy them now for cash, maybe they, you save $20 to play set and you use them in modern. Um, so, and, and, you know, and if you're playing and you need them, that's fine. But if you're just looking at it from a financial perspective, I don't think that that $20 you're saving uh, is worth the risk of the card getting reprinted in an event deck or something and being, you know, $5 at rotation. Because it is really good in in modern but a lot of really good cards in modern are that five to seven dollar range that's fair that you know so that's that's where i see it i I don't like buying cards in the middle of their standard rotation at the height of their price so i think it's safe for the next six months or whatever it's just you have to offset that risk with the long term right i i i I see 
where you're coming at is the event deck reprint because otherwise it could be an idol on a great revel comparable card where that's that card never got reprinted but because of event decks and this is the exact type of card i can feel see them wanting to print in an event deck like tassiger is worth nothing right now four bucks or something. And, and that's because it was an event deck Sea rhino is also kind of the same boat and that's also because and, and for what it's worth idolon is cheaper now than it was at the height of its play in standard true yeah I don't. I don't. is eleven dollars right now, and it had climbed up to thirteen. So even if Kolagon's command isn't reprinted, it could be ten dollars a year from now. But the Eidolon is probably one of the best long-term specs, don't you think? I mean, oh far... yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there's no reason not to. It's you know we, we're going to talk about all the buyouts are happening right now. This is the buyout that happens eighteen months from now or two years from now. Right. Just everyone realizes, oh, this card's going to be good forever, and it's impossibly difficult to reprint it unless. You're talking about two modern masters from now or something like that, like yeah. ni- nineteen or something, right? Because enchantment creature that also has eidolons yeah. that also has like revel as a thing that you want to be associated with, all right. being in the same place is going to yeah. be that's a long. It could time. be something. Could be something weird, like if they do uh, archenemy or plane chase or something this summer. Like there are some weird or commander maybe. Like there are some weird products that you could put in, but yeah, for the most part, this card's pretty safe from reprint right and even and like if it was a commander product i could imagine it not being that hurt just from the fact that it's a four of card when four of cards like cards that you need four of like baleful strix is being reprinted in almost like a bunch of commander right. or product in arch enemy it's still holding that 20 ish under 20 dollar price range yeah just because and, of you need four of them <laughs> right and warm coil responded really well to the um commander reprint as well right Hmm. Um, so speaking of other financial things, uh, what about, so, so we, we mentioned it, but like there's now this new archetype that's kind of bevied the whole slew of cards. It just placed 10th place yesterday from when we're recording this yep. at the SCG event, the black, white Eldrazi token or Eldrazi deck. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird one at first glance because you look at it and it's, it's missing, it's missing the cards that Tron plays, like the the big, 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 beefy Eldrazi and big numbers. And the the Planeswalkers. Yeah, it's got I think one. The list that won, I want to say, had one Eldrazi. It's like one of the that have, one Eldrazi Titan. Yeah, one like giant creature, and then it had a bunch of Blight Herders and like uh, the uh, the what's Sower of Oblivion Sower. Oblivion Sower, yeah. Yeah, and just a bunch of that kind of stuff in the middle, and then you know clever lands and things to to speed everything out really, really fast. Well, I mean, and, and it, I mean. It's always not surprising to me when the major mechanic of the most recent set eventually gets pushed enough where it works with cards in modern to create yeah, something new. Yeah. Um, with this, it's the fact that I of Ugin makes all of these devoid Eldrazi creatures cost, I mean, like, you know, Blights out, or not, cost one mana. Like, yeah. there's right now, there's a. Um, Skin render or whatever. Skin render for one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> playing right. the format. And in a, in a deck that's already playing main deck, Relic of Progenitus, so, like, that thing just eats Tarmogoyfs all day. Like, yeah, yeah, it looks really good. I mean, I, I was I was actually, to be honest with you, surprised to see it play so high so quickly. Um, I thought it looked interesting, but I would I didn't think that the kinks would be worked out fast enough to play so high at a tournament so fast. But, yeah, I mean... He's playing Lingering Souls main deck, and that card's yeah. historically good. Yeah, it's true. Souls and Path <laughs> and, like... I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, like the those lands, I have Ugin, Eldrazi Temple, originally those weren't going to be cards that were jammed into decks as four ofs because there, was, there wasn't the support. The cards, you know, they, they figured out the correct numbers of Titans to play. And now we don't have to play the Titans for those cards to be good. That's, that's right. all, you know what I mean? So you look at that and it's just one of those things. Like, 
two things line up and all of a sudden you get this new thing birthed and looks like it has a real chance to stick around. Also, the Eye of Ugin Urborg Tomb of Yagmoth synergy right. uh, is, is pretty insane on its own. And uh, just rel- graveyard hate effects that are playable main deck are so good right now. It's sort of, if you were to design a deck in the abstract that was good against a Tarmogoyf deck, uh, which, you know, comprises a large percentage of modern, it's basically this Eldrazi deck. Uh, right, you get a, right, right. Yeah, main deck Relic of Pretentious is just so good right now. Plus, you get to shove in all the w- other removal. And the Wasteland Stranglers actually kill all those relevant creatures uh, and Tarmogoyce when they're, when they're you know, brought down low. So it's, it is just sort of a – it's an interesting confluence of things to come together. Like, Wasteland Strangler is a card that doesn't see any play in Standard, and yet is a four of in this modern deck. Same with Blightherder. Right? Yeah, it's, so it's really awesome, I think, that this deck exists so long as – you know, it doesn't get so pushed with Oath of the Gatewatch that it becomes, you know, something dumb. But Yeah, it's funny, like, you talk about how good main deck graveyard hate can be. Um, Kessler and I both play this format we've talked about it here a little bit, uh, Elder Dragon, or it's a Highlander <laughs> Roulette, and it's like a 100-card format, and we played a tournament over the weekend, and I just happened in my deck to have a main deck Nile Spellbomb, right? And mm-hmm. Kessler's playing this, like, ridiculous, you know, I, I kill you in one. The format is somewhere between Legacy and Modern in terms of the cards you can play, so it's a Storm deck. And he had to work tooth and nail to get this Nile Spellbomb off the table. He ended up trying to, like, use Goblin Welder to switch my Spellbomb with an Expedition map. I countered it. <laughs> so then he treacheried my Duskmantle Guildmage, which was part of my combo, and then used the mill effect to put, like, to put the Expedition map back in my graveyard so that he could then switch it. It was ridiculous. Uh, but that's how good main deck graveyard hate can be. Yep. Well, I mean, like, and in this format, you have... All of the flashback you have Lingering Souls versus Snapcaster Mage and Jace and Call Against Command, like the amount of cards that all just like use the graveyard as a resource makes it so something like a just a Neil Spellbomb or a Relic of a Genesis become way stronger than they used to be. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean that's that's the thing. It's if you get it's and, all about rate, right? right? So it's like a, an efficiently costed card that has an auxiliary effect that affects some other part of the game, like a graveyard, can be so overpowered in a format like modern well, where things happen so cheap. And all you kind of needed was there's never really an incentive to do it. Yeah. And now there's an incentive. You get blight herders and you get uh, stranglers that you know require your opponents to have that in the graveyard. This is the whole spell scout argument. This is why we've been this is why we've been talking about spell scout in main decks in modern forever now, right? Half the decks in the format have like a giant problem with you resolving a turn two spell scout in your main deck. It's the same thing as playing a main deck relic, right? Four of main deck relics gonna hurt a lot of decks. Yeah, and, and what I really like, and I think the thing that makes the Eldrazi deck not just a mid range killer, sort of, is that a lot of decks don't put things in their grave. You know, they're not reliant on their graveyard. So you think, oh, well, you just make their Blight Herder and their Wasteland Strangler really bad. Um, You know, like, obviously, I play a lot of Merfolk, uh, but they have discard spells, and then they get to exile those discard spells, and now all of a sudden, it only takes one, and now the Wasteland Strangler just wrecks you. Right. And the the combo decks that don't care about Wasteland Strangler are also hurt by those uh, discard spells. I mean, combo is, I think, the, the deck's... Uh, biggest weakness, but it's something that I mean they're playing black, so it's something that can't be fixed. Right, and, and, and I mean a lot of combo like Infect is kind of a premier combo deck, and Lingering Souls wrecks them. Same as kind of some of the weird combo slash aggro. All, all the combo rat aggro strategies are all kind of hurt by the fact that you just can block one one flyers in the air and they can't get yeah. through it. Well, I mean, and Wasteland, 
Wasteland Stranglers are three two for one mana in this deck. Like let's take let's take the the other thing aside. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, a <laughs> Nicotle. Yeah, I mean that's a you get to play you get to play a Nicotle with Necrotal attached to it. <laughs> so do you guys think that uh, the black white version is the best version, or do you think that with Kozilex Return they may be playing red? I don't have enough experience with it to really come across as an expert by saying which is better. I do sure. know that the th- two people that have been playing a lot of it online, one of them, Zach Elsick, which actually he said he'd wanted to come on the cast to talk about deck it. tech it, but um, he says blatantly that Black White is the best one. That's what I would think, too. I think Lingering Souls is probably just too good. Yeah, it's, that, that card, I, I just mentioned, like... Both Affinity and Infect, which are two decks that I imagine this deck would normally have a lot of problems with, just can't beat Lingering Souls. Yeah, right. Lingering Souls is amazing. One of the I mean, one, <laughs> one of the premier cards printed in the last five years. Um, plus, plus the grave or the uh, the sideboard hate when you have access to white is just much better than I probably any other color. Correct. Oh, yeah, and the red. Yeah, it's I mean, like on the pie, on the if they if they should all be twenty twenty twenty, it's like white's like forty five. I feel like. Well, wait, wait, yeah, white's ownership <laughs> right. of the sideboard is just yeah. It's the best sideboard color, and then it has the most problems with the main board, which is why Stoneforge Mystic should come back. What's the worst sideboard color? Red? No. Blue. Blue, 100%? Yeah, Murphy. Probably blue. Yeah, blue has the worst yeah. sideboard color. Sideboard, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about Hercules Recall and how it doesn't ever work. <laughs> yeah, you play like Hercules Recall, Hibernation, like cards like that. Yeah, nope, they're not good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's kind of, that's like the newest archetype, I want to say. Um I, I do want to touch on because I, I recently got in a large argument, um, as you're with, known to do uh, on, on the internet. Uh, Paul Vito was a part of it, <laughs> though on my side, which is rare. Yeah, he doesn't like modern, but uh, no. Amulet Bloom is probably going away. Can we all kind of? I think we've all seen I it coming so. for a while. It's had its moment in the sun, and and all the, yeah, all the pros say it's going away. That's enough to make up my mind about it. Right, and just beyond that, like. Wizards of the Coast has these four rules, one of which is a deck can't consistently win before turn four, but then also consistently win after turn four if it doesn't. And that's when it becomes a problem. That's what Storm did. Like, this deck wins on turn two. Don't you think that if... Sometimes. Wins on turn three a lot of the time and can kill you turn four and five the rest of the time. Don't you think that if they're going to ban it, though, they have to ban Gloria's Vengeance? No. That That deck is much weaker towards... The losing to itself. Yeah. Yeah, it's still pretty powerful. Yeah. Uh, Also, I look at it this way. The the thing with a lot of people say Amulet Bloom isn't that oppressive because it doesn't put that many, it's not putting, you know, four decks into every top eight, something like Birthing Pod was. uh, And sometimes it just loses to itself. There's all these things against it. Uh, But the deck scales very well with the caliber of the player playing it. And I think that that's sort of an issue. So maybe it doesn't rear its head that much at a GP or certainly at your F&M or anything like that, but I would, if it stays legal, I'd be very worried about half the field at the Pro Tour um, in Just February showing up at Amulet Bloom, you know, and that's pretty bad if you're Wizards. Yes, true. It's also, it's not, now that we've all seen it happen, it is not a fun deck to watch on camera anymore. It's, just dirtily. Right. It's just a bunch of solitaire. Right. I mean, like every pro I've talked to said, if I'm playing at the Pro Tour in a modern tournament, I'm most likely playing Amulet Bloom. Unless they're already like a master of burn at that point, and then they just start kind of sticking to their guns. Yeah. Right. There's so, something with price burst. If we see Summer Bloom banned and Stoneforge come off the list, then I'm willing to call the Pro Tour wide open. So. Right. Does, so, do would they... you say Summer Bloom over Amulet? 
I, I've always heard people say Summer Bloom. Uh, Justin Cohen, the guy who put it on the map, uh, when he and Sam Black worked on it and he took it to the finals of uh, the Pro Tour, uh, I think last year, uh, he told me if they ban something, it's going to be Summer Bloom. It's the best card in the deck by far. Right. I mean, it is the in the testing we've done with it. Generally, even if I don't have an amulet, if I cast Summer Bloom, I'm most likely casting a Titan on the next turn anyways. Yeah, right. The difference is just do I cast a Titan that turn or the next turn? And at that, it, it, it doesn't even matter at that point. I think Amulet does some fun stuff in Modern, in theory. Uh, like, Root Maze is a card I've seen some people brew with before. That's a card, it's just a one green enchantment that makes lands and artifacts your opponents play come into play tapped. Okay. Um, so, like, I don't think that that wouldn't, you know, go into Amulet Bloom or anything but else. But, like, sort of the Amulet Bloom shell of Bounce Land plus Relic, or uh, plus amulet. amulet, is a deck that maybe people get to keep playing with and working on and it's sort of still exists on the fringe of modern right uh, but it's not completely broken well but like, if you ban amulet nobody's doing anything else with summer bloom you know summer bloom will never be used in a fair way correct correct uh, i mean like i guess you play azusa in the deck instead would be well, but that makes two it of now more resistant to creature hate which is what wizards wants from its decks right and it's a turn slower right it's a turn slower and you get a situation where path hurts it or lightning bolt hurts the yeah. deck and wizards a lot. In fact, is completely fine with fast combo decks as long as a removal spell can stop it. Yes. So uh, if there if there is a banning with this, anything from that deck that takes a massive massive hit, or I mean, how much money does somebody who, who plays that deck currently stand to lose if you ban out Summer Bloom? I mean, Titans are only like ten, eleven bucks right now. I think is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And Titans are sort of a generically good magic card that I don't think people feel terrible about having. Yeah. Uh, if they have money timed up, tied up in the amulets, that hurts. Uh, the packs are not cheap, right? The, but the packs, the packs they play consistently in various in various combo decks. Right. Sometimes they pop up. They're good eternal cards. People play them in various formats. It's a free counter spell. Yeah, the, the cards that are expensive in that deck, I feel like, are generically good. And the cards that aren't, right. because the deck has been on the banned watch list for so long, the deck has never gotten super expensive. Like, no, I don't think, like, the argument online was like, oh, I didn't, people are going to be so mad that it gets banned. I'm just like, I, the deck was on the banned watch list when it was in the Pro Tour last year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> right. Let's... Plus people, yeah, plus it's not like, it's not like we, we touched on, it's not, you know, everybody at FNM putting it together. It's people who are trying to spike large tournaments. You know, it's a little like Birthing Pod was a deck that anyone could play and anyone wanted to play and would have fun playing. Amulet Bloom is not something that your your casual modern player at FNM who would stand to to really actually be hurt by the decision to ban a card is impacted by because they're not the ones playing this deck. Yeah, I mean, I think the cards, you know, Summoner's Pact is a card that is that's like around 15 bucks and you don't want to have you don't want to have four Summoner's Packs sitting around in your collection. I mean, I guess yeah, it's but there's, fine. there's no way that card's not going to be good again. Like, it's fine. It's a free card tutor, and eh, same as like, it, like it's, it'll be fine. I just mean like yeah. for 15 bucks, like that how that was not a card that was ubiquitous to the format prior to this deck, and that's 60 bucks right there. But we I just mean, talked about how this deck isn't going to die. This deck is just going to become a turn slower and a little bit more weak to hate, which maybe. Oh, right, which which may make it unplayable. True, true, true. You know, sort of say this serves the same purpose. But. Yeah. Anyway, gemstone mine. It's a, it's a land that that I don't think you'll see. Yeah, but that's his legacy play. It's yeah. Tron State or uh, yeah, Dredge play. So yeah, maybe a banning with this deck's not going to hurt. The finance too much. I mean, and, and the other bannings we had mentioned, 
what 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 are the effects there? Actually, let's... Goryeo's Vengeance is the only other deck that is theoretically on this list of cards that need to get kicked out of the format. I mean, like twin maybe but that would be surprising at this point because they have so much of an obvious enemy and they're going to do more by unbanning things no, they're not banning twin. serum visions yeah. we've mentioned yeah, but I, I think this isn't the the time to ban it i think next year after two years of it being the ubiquitous blue card that every deck is playing four of them period if you're playing blue then it becomes mm. more of a card to look at i like i don't see any other card being banned out of the format what's the price on stoneforge now versus an unbanning it was like oh uh, well well, the thing is, Stoneforge is $45 right now, but two weeks ago, it was 20 Got it. Right. Got it. So if it gets unbanned, um, it's going to 70? spike to... 75 It's like in that day of it being unbanned, that day or two, it's probably 100 bucks. You know, Right, right. Do any sell at that price? I don't know. I, I could see it settling because there's definitely not many of them out there in the world. Like I could see it settling uh, between you know, 50 to $70. The, right. the thing is, though, if you look at the gross, if it is unbanned, it's also the GP promo. So whatever that price is, when it is unbanned, it won't ever be higher than that because it's going to get completely flooded with GP promos next year. If you look at Gristlebrand, it went from, you know, very expensive before it was a GP promo to basically a third of the price the a GP year promo after. It's like $11 now. Right. It's like yeah. just like nothing. Like I was, I was like, my buddy's looking at my binder the other day, and he's like, "How much for that?" And I was like, "Oh, that's got to be worth something." And I like that. I was like, eleven dollars? Isn't yep. right. that's so unfair?" So, so the thing is with Stoneforge, this is the advice I gave somebody who asked me about it a few days ago: was if you are going to need them upon it being unbanned, and you're going to need them immediately, you need to suck it suck it up and get them. Um, if you wanted to make any money on them, you should have bought them two weeks ago. Uh, as soon as they, you know, as soon as Watsi wrote the article uh, about the GP promo and said, I wonder how many we'll, Stoneforges we'll see next to Batter Skulls next spring, dot, dot, dot. Right. Like that, that ellipses was in the article. Like, that was the day to buy them if you wanted to make money on it. Now it's just sort of biting the bullet if you needed to play. But if you can be patient and it's sort of a card you want but can live without, just wait for six months of the GP promo to tank the price. Interesting. So that's like. So I have a question here on this exact specific point. What do you think the chances of this card being reprinted in Oath of the Gatewatch? Zero. Zero chance. Too powerful for standard when there's no equipment set coming nearby. Like the problem with it before was like it was like a tier two best at best strategy card until Feast and Famine came. Oh, out. until Feast and Famine, yeah, because they were playing Bone Horde with it at first, weren't they? Boa, and then there's Argentum armor at one point. Yeah, it was Argentum Armor plus Quest for the Holy Relic. Right, which was, like, cute, and sometimes you'd spike a tournament because people don't right. know how to handle that card when it comes at you for the first time. And but... Silvok Lifestaff, I think it got played with at the beginning. Because, um, we'll, oh, yeah, that's the other thing, is with the unbanning, it, how close does the Modern actually just get to having Cobblade then? I mean, Jace I think was... Cobblade's a deck. I think it becomes a deck. Jace was... I think it's a deck, yeah. Jace I... was in Cobblade, the, right? the, the ability to play Sword of Feast and Famine with counterspells is powerful, there was no consistent way of getting Sword of Feast of Fan without having four of them in the deck at this point right now, so it never was a deck. But Jace with Cobb, with birds, and the fact that you draw three cards and shuffle, and et cetera, et cetera, not going to be as much of a thing, but I definitely think the deck is still a thing. I mean, couldn't you just play a deck with a whole bunch of spells, uh, Vryn's Prodigy, Stoneforge Mystic, some yeah, I armor? Mean, Jace, Jace... 
baby Jace or Vern's Jace, whatever. I don't know how to refer to him still. Yeah. Uh, creature Jace <laughs> uh, is still almost as good with Cobblade cre- with uh, yeah. Squadron Hawks because you discard them. Yeah. I'm actually not looking forward to, and I think Stoneforge will be unbanned, but I don't know that I'm going to like what it does to the format because the blue white Snapcaster Stoneforge. Deck does deck sound scary. With, with Friends Prodigy. It sounds terrifying. And it's not necessarily that it will be too good because I think that there are other decks that can grind better. You know, uh, right. you can, Grixis can probably grind better. Twin can just beat it by not caring. Like, I don't think it's too good, but I do think it goes a long way towards pushing out things like uh, Zoo. Uh, like, I don't know if Knight of the Reliquary can exist once a Stoneforge deck exists. Uh, I think it hurts. Um, you know, your Merfolk. Well, I think your Big Naya sort of does French decently. Like that. Well, and then I also think Zoo just plays Stoneforge. <laughs> right. So, you know, that's my thing. Like, I think that it really crowds out a lot of other mid-range strategies that aren't playing black. So it basically comes down to Obzon and Jund and nothing. Like, a lot of decks cannot beat that batter skull. So Ooh, even right. if it's not too good in the format, which I don't think it is, I'm not convinced that it leads to a more open format. It leads to probably uh, even more of a uh, paper rock scissors format, which I don't necessarily think is, is a great way to go. Cass, how long after our conversation on the podcast about this and when we had the full 30 minute, are they going to unban it? Was the article written? It was before. Oh, the article written before. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. The reason the conversation came up was because of got it. that article. Okay. Yeah, I, thought, yeah. I thought that we, had oh, no, somehow... I'm not a wizard. I can't see the future. Yeah. Okay. Wizard... <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, last, I guess, on the speculation finance thing that's kind of been news recently, um, because I, I feel like I'm going to be talking about Stoneforge Mystic exclusively for the next year, <laughs> um, is uh, there's been a lot of weird buys out, buyout recently, like at least two that I can think of off the top of my head, and there's probably been a little bit more. I mean, you brought up Karanos when the podcast started. And I didn't know about that. Yeah. Um, Foil Karanos, yeah. Uh, but uh, Gattactique is the first one. Uh, I just like randomly looked at the internet, and it was sixty dollars when it was twenty, and it's no longer sixty. It's now I think settled down around forty. Um, yeah. But I definitely like my eyes open because I definitely have a bunch of Gattactiques because my old green white EDH deck was a f- like had a foil Gattactique as its general. Yeah. Uh, and I made no friends, and that's why I don't play it anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> but. Uh, I mean, it doesn't see play, really. I mean, it's like a fringe sideboard card. It sees play in Commander, kind of, but it's people hate you and just... Yeah, yeah. so there's a lot of... Uh, there's been a lot of buyouts or price corrections or whatever you want to call them. And I think you really have to look at them all as individual cases. Gaddick Teague was just... It's a rare from Lorwyn that's really old. There's not a ton of it out there in the world. It was just a buyout. The card had been steadily rising, um, just sort of on not a lot of copies out there. Someone saw an opportunity, they bought it out. I think the same is true uh, with Glenelander Archmage, uh, which is, again, not a modern card, just a card that's been climbing just in sort of, because, you know, people want to play good magic cards, generically good magic cards in whatever format they want to play. And once supply hits a certain point, someone coming along will see the opportunity to buy out a card for three or $400 and they'll do it. You know, and and that's, that's how you see these things. Uh, The eye of Ugin, and Eldrazi Temple buyouts were pretty clearly speculator-driven from, you know, there's obviously this deck is the thing, and people are excited about it, but the, the actual buyout itself where they spike 400% overnight is a buyout. I think that they will hold their price better than uh, 
obviously when everything spikes or is bought out, it settles higher than where it was originally. But I do think that Ayavugan and Eldrazi Temple are cards that will continue to be playable in modern for, you know, the years at this point, because this deck is probably not going away. So I think that those are, uh, that's sort of driven by demand and not by supply. Right. It, okay. Interesting. So, hmm. Wow, so you, it's just you, you, we just legitimately think that like Gaddock T was just somebody who was like, oh, there's not very many of these around. I'll just buy them all because I mean, well, because, uh, I mean, like to be totally honest, I, I when I saw the reprint was like, wait, I thought that card was in Modern Masters one or two, wasn't it? Archmage and it, was it in, wasn't. Archmage was was in Modern Masters one. Right, it was which, in Modern Masters one, yeah. Which is surprising that it could actually get bought out. There's a lot of Modern Masters uh, one open. And that was just a rare. They've been yeah. There's there's a lot of Modern Masters that's going up in price too right i mean like the thing uh, to look Rav- at it happened yeah. to ravager a couple months ago mm-hmm. um, it, it doubled overnight i, I think glenelander arc mage was a case of and you as as corbin said earlier you have to look at it on a case-by-case basis with glenelandre was all these other cards that were 40 50 30 dollars before modern masters or modern masters 2 came out specifically one are now bouncing back why shouldn't glenelandre it has the same kind of pedigree as those cards right. and then with gaddock teague it was more of a all these other cards that are format staples over across multiple formats are this expensive. Gaddock Teague hasn't been reprinted in anything. Why shouldn't it be this expensive? It's right. a fan favorite. Let's buy it out because it's a two-drop creature that has a unique ability. And we'll see where it ends up because that one has less of a backbone behind it. Right. And, sure. and the way I think a lot of these things go is if you're a store, and maybe you're not even a huge store. You're just a TCG player store who does decent sales. If you are, If you have... Uh, say you sell through like 10 Gaddock Teagues a month or something, and that's a reasonable number for a medium-sized store. You look, when you go to relist, you look at TCG Player, and you see that you can buy the card out for $500, and you, you're consistently selling through them. Why don't you? You know? Right. Like, there's just, there's no reason not to, and this happens all the time with cards. And sometimes it's pronounced, uh, and you see it. Sometimes it's sort of the card only goes up by 2 or $3, or it happens over the course of a week, so it doesn't. you don't have that overnight spike, uh, and people don't see it. But there's a lot of movement on cards like this where they're just driven by dealers, and maybe it's a couple, maybe it's one, maybe it's one big one that doesn't advertise what they're doing. Uh, you know, Certainly, like Star City and Troll and Toad and stores like this have moved the market before. Uh, they just buy it to keep it in stock. They're not maliciously trying to buy out a card. Right. It's just, you know what? I see what my numbers on this card are. I see what the price trajectory of this card has been. I'm just going to stock my store for the next year on these. And I can look at TCG Player right now and see a handful of cards. Some of them are modern-ish playables. You know, they're cyborg or they're, they exist in some fringe decks. Some of them are commander cards. Like I can look at cards that can be bought out for five under $500. And you can see things that could just spike in price overnight and double up and you know, then people look at it and say it's a buyout. Well, my point is it doesn't take that much to actually buy a card out. People always want to put more thought into it than it is. Sometimes it is just one or two stores who say that I don't want to have to buy any more of these in the next year to sell. I'm going to buy them all right now. Right. The, the, the way you have to look at it is these stores are stocking – like they're like they're a retailer. So you, you buy a supply for the year sometimes, and sometimes the card is a limited enough supply and a high enough mover that it causes a spike to happen just based off of normal best practices for retail stores. Let me ask you, right. so like when you, you, you know, we, we talk about rares and things that are anywhere between four and, you know, hundreds of dollars on a single card. And that's pretty obvious. You know, if you can make a buck here, you can make 50 cents here. Now, what, what, what about when you get down to like penny stocks kind of stuff where you're talking about eternal cards that are 
you know, staples in commander decks, things take like cards like signets, take cards like, uh, mm-hmm. I, I just bought, you know, 25,000 bulk from somebody and started sifting through it. And I found, you know, like one clump had seven sinew slivers and like, you know, that's listed for like around two bucks on TCG player as the mid. But it's like, if I try to sell a place that a sinew slivers on eBay right now, there's no demand for that card. I might get a buck for four, right. maybe. Right. Then I have to deal with right. shipping it. So my question is, when you get down to, like, you know, there's this box has literally like 60 or 70 bounce lands and the same with Signets. So what do you do with those cards? They're worth more than a penny, but they just sit in a box until what happens? What do you do? What, well, I mean, personally, I buy list some. And this is, uh, you know, for people who don't know me, I, um, you know, I write, I've done magic finance for a long time. I, I am the content manager at MTG Price. Um, and in the past two years, I've, join the Wizards of Coast coverage team. Um, but at home, you know, when I sort of outside of all of these on the internet magic things I do, uh, I run a store. I don't own the store, but I run all the magic sales inside of it. So I buy and, go, buy and sell a lot of collections and go through stuff. So I just bought, um, a, I probably two months ago at this point, somebody came in and sold me like 75,000 cards. So I had the same issue you did where I come across, I, I mean, literally a bunch of sinus delivers um, and then say, what do I do with them? Uh, so I usually can stock some of that stuff in my store and I'll slowly sell through it if the right person comes in. Right. But honestly, it's worth it to just buy list it. Uh, if you list your stuff on TCG player and you're just somebody, you're not running a big TCG player store, you're just sort of an average player, you can list those and you'll sell them eventually. You can eBay them. But like you said, you have to deal with this hassle and you don't make that much money. But at the same time, they're not bulk. You don't want to throw them away. Uh, I just buy list them. It's, you get something out of them. Uh, and then the bigger stores who will sell, who have the entire sliver deck for this, you know, the 60 card casual guy who wants to go buy all the slivers. He can buy them all from the same store, save on shipping. Right, you know? right, right. That's not you. So you just buy a list of that place. And generally, once you account for the time and the hassle, you make nearly as much buy listing cards like that as you do uh, by selling them on TCG and then playing fees. Yeah, and I would imagine something like a, a card that the mid is like 170 The buy list is probably like $0.25, cents, right? Um, yeah, maybe sometimes $0.50. Cents. It depends, and a lot of this depends on how much you do, uh, whether you have you know certain stores who work with you. But if you're just sort of looking for the best buy list price, you know, you can go to Star City, Channel Fireball, look these things up yourself. Um, different websites will compare buy lists. I know that on MTG Price, we will show you the best buy list price for a particular card um and you can sort of sort sort them out that way so sydney sliver the best buy list price right now is 85 cents oh it's pretty good so yeah you could list them for you know like probably if the tcg mid on it is a dollar 75 you probably sell them for like a dollar 25 on tcg player pay your shipping and you make a dollar a card rather than 85 cents a card you know it's just yeah. not just buy listed and you go through those collections or your own collection or, you know, a lot of times uh, if you help your friends sort through stuff, you can help them. And you, you can make your magic cards go a lot further. Um, if you put a little work into it. Yeah, no, you that's, know, that's what I figured. I mean, I looked at this box and he had clearly gone through it and, and there was not, there's not a single rare out of 25,000 cards that I saw, right. but I mean, a bunch, you know, I found for instance, one serum visions in there. I got one lantern right. of insight in there. I got two lava spikes, like, you know, seven <laughs> sinew slivers, 30 signets, yeah. 60 bounce. It adds up. Yeah, and absolutely. That's up really fast. And that's, uh, yeah, and before you know it, like, and, and you're that guy. Uh, say, you know, you're the guy who has the 25,000 cards you want to get rid of or whatever. Yeah. So before he sold it to you, 
he could have taken the time to go through it himself, done all of this, and probably pulled out fifty or sixty dollars. And then it's not you're not you know making your paycheck stretch to buy that last Snapcaster. You're just turning the extra junk in your boxes into cards you need. Yeah, no, fully. It's but but by the same standard, in his mind, he's like, I'm gonna go throw this bulk away because I don't want to deal with it. The local <laughs> store will give me right. twenty bucks for it. I can't be bothered to sort through this. I'm not up on any cards right now to know which of these are worth anything. So it's a huge pain in his butt to have to oh, go. Yeah. You know what I mean? So and and that's I get that because I've bulked before, um, and yeah. inevitably down the line, you always regret bulking because you you know you as as cards change in price, you know all of a sudden you're. 30 thoughts of hours you sold for bulk you could have gotten something for them and you know but that's just the nature of the beast so i think there's no there's no getting down on it yeah it's all just a function of what you consider your time um worth in the sense that it, you know is it literally worth you for you to look through all this stuff and if you're pretty clued into the finance scene or you know that you if you know that sending silver is worth two dollars um obviously it's much easier yeah right right, right. i would i would posit that if you are playing magic and you know, you're conscious of trying to make your money go as far as you want it to. So you can play more magic. It behooves you to learn some of those things. Totally. All right. So before we get into the deck tech, uh, and the last little bit of modern finance, uh, why don't, I mean, I have my pick. I don't know if Ben has one, but, uh, do you have any picks for like one or two cards people should keep an eye on and, and maybe pick up in the next coming weeks? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll actually debut this here because, uh, let's see, when does the podcast come out? Oh, this will come uh, out Monday. Week, right? uh, yeah. month, okay. Tuesday, usually, right? Yeah, Tuesday. So, yeah, but not this, right. So, uh, okay, so then this will be written about before, so I don't have to feel bad about this. And I will debut this here. Sweet. Uh, Urabrask... uh, Modern Masters exclusive. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Urabrask the Hidden. Ooh, okay. Interesting. Go look at the chart on this card. It's 750 right now, uh, but it is very much uh, rising. It started the year under $5. So it's gone up, um, you know, 50% over the past year. It's a mythic from New Phyrexia that's a commander staple. Yeah, he's, um, the, not he's in, the red crater. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, for people who don't know, it's the three color, three generic, two red, uh, four, four. Creatures you control have haste. Creatures your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped. Not played in modern not played in legacy it's just a commander staple right uh and you know probably cubes whatever but it's a new phyrexian mythic and there are very few of them out there and hmm. this is one of those cards that i was talking about earlier is three four hundred dollars away from being fifteen dollars overnight because someone bought out tcg player got it that makes sense so by the time this cast comes out that may have happened it may not have people you know storm yeah, may we'll come find in out <laughs> either way it is a card that you should keep an eye on and if you want yours uh, you know, if you think you want one for Commander or ever going to want one, this is your last chance to get right. it. Before, well, you know, this was, should be noted on the last the last time we did a finance podcast, Chaz called out CD Unwritten, which I think at the time was like a dollar and change, and it's like eight or nine dollars now, right? Uh, yeah, I I know that it, it certainly did spike on all the Eldrazi speculation. It didn't really find a home, and now it's back down to under two dollars. Oh, really? But yes, it did spike. It spiked up to seven or eight dollars at the height. So right. there's absolutely an opportunity to make money on it. Yeah, well, what's interesting about Urbrask is it's, like, the, kind of the first good red... Because, like, in the last four years, five years, I want to say red has made a huge jump in that format. And I think Urbrask was kind of the beginning of that where they started printing cards that were good in Commander for red. But uh, I think if I were to pick one card before we move on to the deck tech, I would probably say, uh, and I brought it up a few times, Sword of Feast of Famine. 
So that card's at $15 right now. It's the only one of the three good swords or four good swords, depending on your feelings on War and Peace, that yeah. low. And one of the reasons that low is that modern event deck. Hmm. But you can't find that thing anywhere that yeah. I've, when I've looked for it. And so, like, if Cobblade comes back, Cobblade depends on Feast and Famine. The point of that deck is hmm. I attack you, and then I untap my lands so that you can't play spells because I have Crypt to command up. Right. And that becomes a much more interesting... Because, like... Blade and Shadow is already up over 50. Right. Sword and Fire Ice is almost up to the 60. Like, all the other ones are already expensive. There's this one that's kind of the second best one, in my opinion. Yeah. That's, like, definitely underrated right now. I think it's a really good pick, actually. Uh, yeah. That, that's really cheap for such a powerful card. I mean, it don't, it's not a four of or anything like that, but it is. there's not a lot of supply of it. Right. Um, all right. I think I would actually, to be honest okay. with you, look for look for the moment. And, and I mean, maybe it's now, and maybe you're looking on eBay. I'd buy a play set of either Rin's Prodigies now, or I would buy the Planeswalker set that you were talking about. Oh, the Comic Con exclusive Planeswalkers, because you can find it on on Amazon for like just over three hundred uh, for the set. And I think that the Jace itself goes for like in in the low low two hundred to two fifty range. Right, and this is the coolest version of that card that will ever be printed. Well, the reason I said it's on a the, vintage staple. <laughs> the reason I said on the regular one as well uh, that, I, that I don't even think because you know I think the regular price is like sixty five, but I know if you look look around, you can find sets on eBay where you're paying like fifty two, fifty three, fifty four per. And I just feel like that's one of those cards where I don't think that's an easy reprint for a long time. If if you can find a place to reprint it. I also don't think that it's going to get any worse. I think people were, people are just scratching the surface in Eternal Formats with how good that card is because it's so new. It's just seeing play now as a four of. And I remember like when Snapcaster started to really become a card that was like, this is this is a, a must, must play four of in many, many decks. It just didn't do anything but go up gradually, slowly, but surely over time. And that was just a rare. My, my fear for it is that... Eventually, it's going to rotate out of standard, and every standard player who doesn't play modern is trying to get rid of their copies. I'm just saying, I think there's a lot of players that don't have them in modern or haven't tried them in modern who are thinking like, oh, it's just the thing of the week that's hot. Right. And it, people haven't caught on to the fact that this card's never going to get worse. It's it's just not. It's so good. It I, needs to be banned. Well, that, I mean, that's kind of why I always point at that Comic-Con exclusive, because buying it as a whole pack, you get that plus Liliana, which is a commander staple forever. Uh Nissa, which is like a commander staple, slightly less than Liliana, but close forever. Yeah. And like just those three cards are all very good in important formats where having the coolest version of a card gets you points. I think Chandra's sweet too, but I don't know how good Chandra is actually going to be like long term. Yeah, it's not a commander card. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Uh, Corbin? Yeah. I, well, I, I'm not a giant fan of the Origin Chase Prodigies right now. It's, I don't, it's, it's hard to envision a future in which a card becomes. Like Jace right now is seeing as much play as it could possibly see in standard. And that is by far the, the largest played format in magic. It's the big cash cow. So even if it does see more play in modern than it, you know, a year from now, um, if it dominates the pro tour or whatever, there's, it's hard to see it not being more. Uh, it's hard to see it not being cheaper come rotation than it is right now. Like, it's just hard to see. Right. It's literally difficult for that card to see more play than it is right now in the sort of the overall world of of all the games of Magic being played. The other the other card that I would probably, as a set, would say to focus on would be uh, you can get foil temples for very very cheap. 
Uh, I was looking, they were selling them on sale on Star City for Christmas, and I got a bunch of them for like two bucks. Temple. Just, oh, oh, Temple. The Temple's from, from... Scrylands. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. as for casual cards, like the foil version of that card, if you can get it for two to three dollars, again, if you can find them on eBay, I do think that they're easy to reprint, but I can't see a world long term where five or six dollars for those foils, seven dollars is not way more likely. Um, so I, to me, that's well, every like an commander easy buy. deck on the planet should probably be playing whatever color right. of those. That's they can, what I mean. Which definitely means it's a good place to. Yeah, kind of yeah. Pick I them think up. those, I, and I like the foils of that too because you're right; those are are really generic names. So you could, it would be like a boring cycle for them to put into a, a format, but they yeah. could do it. You know, they have generic names, and Scry's an evergreen mechanic now. Right. But yeah, so I like the foils for sure, and they're really good in commander. So. Yep. All right. So. Deck deck time. Yeah, let's talk about extra turns. So, oops, all turns. Yeah. <laughs> so why, yeah. <laughs> why don't you kind of uh, give us a breakdown of what the deck is? Well, also, right. just also before before you tell us what the deck is, just why all of a sudden did it become played? Because, I mean, I, I know the, most oh. of these cards were legal forever, and there's one new card that pushed it over the edge a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, basically, uh, Part the Water Veil was really the thing that made the difference. So the, the sort of oops, all the turns deck has floated around the fringes of modern for several years uh but it was never really good i, I wouldn't even call it tier two most of the time right it would just occasionally pop up uh but dictative crucifix was sort of a sneaky card that uh made made it better and then really the one that changed things was part the water veil hmm. uh for the first time the deck has its win condition and an extra turn effect all in one so the goal of the deck is to take all the turns <laughs> and eventually uh, kill them with a part the water veil or a FASA uh, if your list runs one of those. So it really is – it's very simple. I mean it's a you know 22 to 24 land deck uh, with your serum visions and your slide of hand to set it up. Uh, a couple howling mines, your elixir, spreading seas, just sort of these cards that – uh, fill the early turns and give you some value or cycle uh, and just sort of delay your opponent, buy you some time. Your goal is to make it to turn five. Once so, you turn five, you can cast Time Warp. That's, that's right. the idea. And, right. And you want... Dictator Krufix is always a four of. That's the best Howling Mine effect um, you can play. Uh, so it's if you can survive until turn five... Uh, which through those cards I spoke of, plus Cryptic Command on turn four is a really important one, you then untap with a Howling Mine Effect in play, Time Warp yourself, and then you're just drawing two cards a turn, and almost all the cards you draw cycle into other cards or are Time Warp effects themselves. And before you know it, you've strung together five or six turns, you have nine lands, you awaken part the Waterville with your 6-6, six, six, uh, and you just kill them. So... One of the biggest cards, I think, in the deck that really pushes it from, oh, this deck can sometimes go off and work, to this deck is really good, is Giga Drowse. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you don't, Giga Drowse is a, it's just a common from, um, I think, Guild Pack or Dissension. Um, one blue mana, cap target permanent, instant speed. Uh, it has a replicate cost of one blue. So what that means is for every time you pay the one blue, you get to tap a target permanent at instant speed. So it just does so much work for the deck. You can tap their creatures down in combat. You can tap, uh, you play against a twin player or something, and they're like, okay, I'm going to pass up with um, two counter spells open. I got them. There's no way they're going to get a time warp off on me. And then you tap down all four of their lands at the end of the turn. 
and they can't so, and they can't co- it's because it's each one is a copy on replicate so they, can, they have to counter each one right right correct so you can't just I spell this you know you it's sort of like a uh, grape shot in storm mechanic you can't it's an individual copy so Giga Trash just does so much work People used to play that card as a as a sideboard, and then sometimes a main deck card in Dragonstorm decks. Back way back in the day, back when it was Dragonstorm and like right, Ravnica exactly. Time Spiral standard. Right for that purpose of tapping down, um, you know, people's lands, and that's a lot of times how it gets used. But I've used it to tap down the Tron players' Tron lands and their upkeep, mm. so they can't do anything. Uh, the tricky one is tapping down Howling Mine so that they don't draw a card because it's an oh, old nice. artifact, so it's tapped, right? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> it, it actually reads that. If Howling Mine is untapped, then that player draws an additional card. But if it's tapped, then that doesn't happen. So that's pretty. That's just pretty funny, actually. Now, do I see? <laughs> have I seen that there's a white? There's the, there's a. I've seen. The, do all the lists play white and blue, or are they all mono blue? Because I've seen. I feel like Narset um, on this list, right? Yeah, it, it's there's certainly a lot of lists. I think that the best version is mono blue, but that's you know that's my opinion after playing you know forty or fifty games of Magic Online with it. That's. You know, that's my opinion. A lot of people play white for the sideboard options and timely reinforcements. That's um, right. And Narset, something like that. I prefer the the extremely streamlined blue version where, um, and I have a, a primer up on this that I wrote uh, two weeks ago on brainstormbrewery.com, um, just called Taking All the Turns in Modern. Which we'll, we'll uh, link I, to on rocketjump.com where the uh, podcast is posted. Awesome, great. Yeah, so, yeah, and I have my list on there. I like the blue version because there's, almost zero dead draws even once you so a lot of lists run remand right because you know that's in theory one of the best time walks uh that isn't an actual time walk but the issue is once you do start comboing remand doesn't do anything yeah yeah. if you are in this situation where you need to draw time walks and lands that's it that's all you want to do is draw those cards and you draw remands you're just diluting your deck um, really hard. So that's why I actually prefer the spreading seas over it because spreading seas a lot of times will slow your opponent down by a turn, which sort of accomplishes the same thing. Right. Except that when you have seven mana, a time walk, and another card, rather than that card being a remand, it's a, serum, it's a spreading seas and you get to see another card. See, so. I, I, I was trying to talk to Alex a few months back about this deck idea for Modern, and it's funny when this deck started to become popular. I was so surprised because I was amazed that I hadn't heard of it prior because my, my premise was that I wanted to play essentially a deck with like four Boomerang, four Eye of Nowhere, maybe like two Shadow of Doubt, some number of Cryptic Commands, Snapcaster Mage, uh, and then I was trying to figure out at the time, like what's my win condition going to be if I bounce one and then two lands a turn? Um, and I came across Narset and Tamio. That was like where I wanted to go with it. Those, were, those are the mm-hmm. cards that I wanted to try to win with. So it was funny to me when I saw this and it reminded me so much of it I mean, obviously, it does something different, but the kind of the premise is the same. Just take the same turn over and over and over and over and over again until you win. Um, so, yeah, that seems really, really cool. And I, I tested that deck a few times, and it seemed fun. So, <laughs> so before we yeah. get into the gauntlet, are there any cool interactions you want to bring up about the deck before we just start talking matchups? Yeah, well, like I said, the, the Howling Mind trick's a pretty good one. Um, you, uh, all the different time walk effects and those are for for reference time warp part of the water veil walk the aeons which is a six mana one that uh, has a buyback of sacrifice three islands right um, then there's there's temporal mastery which is the miracle one yep and then you usually play one temple trespass which is the favor forged one that is delve costs 11 mana but has delve 
And there's no uh, way to make that. Nobody's ever figured out some clever way to make savor the moment work. <laughs> no. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they all serve very specific purposes. Uh, obviously time warp is the best one. Cause it's the five minutes when you're going with, um, but when you're sequencing them, you want to keep in mind when you're playing Serum Visions uh, to set up your Miracle Temporal tri- Mastery. Right. Uh, you want to keep in mind that sometimes it's better to save a Walk the Aeons because once you've awa- once you've hit nine mana and awakened your land with part the Water Veil, then you can walk the Aeons twice and still kill them, um, even if you don't have any other time walks in your hand because of the buyback. Right. So you don't necessarily want to burn it early. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, uh, you have. Uh, you always want to make sure to giga drowse them out when you can, uh, even if you don't think you need to. I actually made that mistake pretty early on uh, in one of the matches I recorded with this deck, where I was against a Merfolk player and I thought I won um, because I, he wasn't doing anything. And then I had counter spells, or I had. Uh, I thought I had all my bases covered, and then he played. Uh, Harbinger of the Tides and bounces my land. Like, oh, no. I had like Vapor Snag under control because I had like Dispel or something in hand, you know? Uh, so keep that in mind. Also, uh, you want to be aware, uh, always have a count because the deck with only two, you run basically two part of the Water Veils and sometimes you run a Thassa uh, and those are your only win conditions in the main deck. Uh, you play Laboratory Maniac in a sideboard, but those are your only win conditions in the main deck. So you, you want to be cognizant of that when you're going off uh, and how many turns it will take you to kill them. Got it. So a lot of times it's not right to just play out all of the alley mine effects. If you have what you need, because you'll deck yourself before you win. Hmm. Um, the elixir, uh, the elixir of immortality obviously is important, but that is something you have to account for. If that's in the bottom couple of your library and you draw five cards a turn, you're going to lose, you know? Right. Um, so, but cryptic command can bounce your own stuff. You can also, flash in a dictated crew fix in your upkeep to mm. draw. Uh, so even if you have to cryptic on something on their turn. So yeah, I would say those are some tricks for anybody picking up the deck. Sounds pretty fun. All right. So time for the gauntlet. We're going to run through some decks. Tell me like basically the best way to try and beat this opponent, how good the matchup is, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Uh, number one, affinity. <laughs> well, this is uh, the... Really aggressive decks are, as you would expect, very difficult for this deck. Right. Um, Starting hard. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you have to, you have to survive against these decks. You need to make it to turn four, cryptic, and then start taking turns, uh, or at least taking turns to get to more cryptics, because that's what you have to beat them. Uh, so Giga Drows does work. Uh, that's you're going to Giga Drows their creatures almost assuredly in the first couple turns. Um, you want one Howling Mine effect there, and then you need a Cryptic. That's the only way you're winning game one. Uh, the sideboard, I have... Um, this is some tech I came up with that's actually been pretty good so far. I have Whiplash Trap in the sideboard. Whiplash Trap uh, is sweet. Yeah, so it's a five-mana <laughs> instant, uh, three blue-blue. Uh, return two creatures to their owner's hands. Um, it has a trap cost where an opponent had two or more creatures enter the battlefield under their control this turn, you can only you can pay single blue to bounce two of them. So Affinity will almost always give you that opportunity. And then you can buy a turn uh, by uh, bouncing their, uh, you know, bouncing two right. of their dudes and, and really sort of um, eat Get an them. attack step from them. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I imagine this is that this deck takes Hercules Recall's ability, uses it to a much better degree than something like Merfolk, just because your pressure is that once I get to five, I win, versus Merfolk, which is I then have to kill you after bouncing all your things. Right. Um, yeah, and that's a thing. Uh, I don't have it in my sideboard currently, but it's certainly something you can look at for that matchup. Um, it's just a difficult matchup, to be honest. Right. It's the fastest of the aggro decks, and it's the one where Sun Droplet and Dragon's Claw don't do much for you. Hmm. All right, so moving on. Black-green X deck, so Abzan and Jund. Uh, in my experience, they don't kill you fast enough to beat you. You're going to get your hand disrupted early. And right. but that that's just a thing that's going to exist. But you have enough redundancy, right? That like yeah, it shouldn't matter yeah. too much. As long as they don't just if they go discard goif, discard discard or something, right? And all of a sudden they're goif a four or five and you die uh, in four turns or whatever. You know, some you know that's why their decks exist. They can do that. Right. But the majority of the time they just take so long to kill you that you're going to find your Howling Mind effects. You're going to cryptic them once or twice, and you're eventually going to get there. Um, the biggest thing you have to worry about is them uh, discarding and then killing your time, uh, your Howling Mine effects. Okay. Uh, and that's the that's the scariest part. So, but as long as you can control your life total, you will eventually just draw out of it because you, your entire deck is built to draw. So, and you don't need to, you shouldn't be afraid to take extra turns for no value. A lot of times it's worth it just for the explore, um, you know. Yeah, ramping you, and drawing more cards. Draw, play another land, you find a cryptic, uh, and that'll buy you, you know, you just sort of, uh, you, you don't have to always, they're not an all or nothing thing. Sometimes you take two turns in a row and then pass back. Have you gotten to play this in uh, Paper Magic or just Magic Online? Yeah. No, I've played Magic Online and uh, done a lot of testing with it in Paper and played one small tournament. So uh, I have a friend who's played it several times and had some success as well. Did this deck like have to reteach you, remind you to Miracle Check? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, very much so. Yeah, it's so tough. It's such a that was such a unique, uniquely strange decision they made when they made those cards. Like, obviously, we all got used to it in in standard, and we all got used to it in limited. But then now, in any eternal format, any one of these, you know, EDH or something like that, it's like I don't think to do that. I just yeah, check right. out every time I and get back into legacy because I have miracles built. But it's always like right the <laughs> first day of testing just to be like, okay, wait, I need to put my card down first, look at it, then draw it. <laughs> the one that gets you, uh, the one that gets you is when you cryptic them and draw. Oh yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> you <that's>... have to. <laughs> if you have six mana when you do that, you have to keep an eye on it. Oof. All right. Uh, next deck, twin. Uh, Giga Drows is unbeatable. Uh, they cannot beat Giga Drows. Okay, because yeah, that's, that makes a lot they, of sense. Like even they, they, they don't have any sort of a clock on you at all, and you'll just build up what you're doing, and then eventually you're going to Giga Drows. Basically, any blue deck that's not an aggressive deck. Uh, you're just going to tap down all their lands and you're going to win. Um, there was one of the matches I recorded in the primer for, for Brainstorm Brewery. Um, I actually won by... My opponent waited to go for the twin on his Exarch until he had Counterspell Mana open so that he could fight the Cryptic I was representing. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I have four mana. Uh, you have this. This is pretty rough for me. Uh, so he goes to twin his guy with his Counterspell backup open, so I cast Giga Drowse for four with two of the copies targeting the Exarch and two right. of them on his lamps. <laughs> so Oof. and he had the counterspell. Right, like right. He remanded. He had. He remanded just to draw a card, but his he put the twin on his guy 
Both his lands got tapped down. I main phase cryptic bounces Exarch. Uh, <laughs> and went on and then and then you know i think i had to spell whatever i went on to win the game from there it's just giga Drows is so good against all of those decks that want to play counter spells against you hmm. all right next deck which i think giga Drows is probably also pretty good against uh tron uh yeah this is really good for you <laughs> they have to have like turn three karn or something to beat you um because you can giga Drows them in their upkeep because their deck only functions at sorcery speed outside of expedition map right so uh, you just recommend their upkeep uh, you cryptic command them you spreading you have the main deck spreading seas too oh yeah oof there's so many draws that you'd have to draw pretty poorly to to lose uh, game one against them and then uh, after sideboard you're you bring in a couple more bounce effects and they just don't get to do much hmm all right. Uh, I'm not going to call it a buy, but it's really close. <laughs> it's really close. Uh, all right. Number five, Merfolk. Man, this is the worst matchup. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's up there with Affinity, except that sometimes you don't win when you get to turn five. <laughs> mm. Okay. Curse Catcher yeah. destroys you. Spell Pierce destroys you. Uh, yeah. It's the, it's the aggressive uh, plus counterspell decks that are a problem you know things have to have a fast clock and disruption and generally in in modern the decks that have disruption don't have a hugely fast clock and the decks that have a fast clock don't have disruption uh merfolk's one of the few that has both yeah so you're probably like delver delver decks even though they're not that good are probably pretty good against you yeah in theory they'd be pretty good yeah it makes sense so uh for the last category are there any decks that you specifically have played against or have in mind that Art wouldn't be in that top five that there's interesting things to talk about before we finish off? Um, other combo decks are just a, a race. Okay. Um, you're, you have some interaction, but ultimately your deck is trying to do its thing, and you don't necessarily get to stop them from doing their thing. Uh, I will say that you need to... In my list, I don't run the Thassa in the main deck because it didn't help in the matchups... Uh, that were problematic. The aggressive matchups, playing Thassa doesn't do much, obviously. Um, so I actually replaced it with an Exhaustion, huh. which keeps your opponent's uh, lands and creatures from untapping. The downside of that is that you're all in on part the Water Veil, which exiles itself when you cast it, so you don't get to bring it back with the Elixir of Immortality. Oh, right. Okay. So you have to... It makes your game one very difficult. But... Because of that, in games two and three, where you, you know, if your opponent has slaughter games or surgical attraction or whatever, uh, you need an alternate win condition. Um, and I prefer either Jace Belaren um, to just mill uh, them out you, eventually. Yeah, you go, you go party Jace mode and mill them out because you have Elixir of Immortality and you won't. Uh, but uh, one of the better ones, I think, is Laboratory Maniac. Right, you just draw your deck and win. Yeah, you tap them down, play your Lab Maniac, and continue to go off. I. Um, in, in one of those tournaments I played, somebody discarded and then surgical extracted my part of the water veil and thought that I couldn't do anything and then play Laboratory Maniac and they die. Yep, fair enough. Seems really, really good. It also seems, this seems like, I keep saying, this really fun. I mean, this seems like something I should build. <laughs> it's certainly fun. <laughs> Taking take turns is pretty fun. Yeah. Probably very frustrating to play against. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's it, I think, for the deck deck, unless you have any other last words of wisdom. I don't think so. Cool. I mean, enjoy it. It's actually fairly inexpensive <laughs> right oh, now. Oh, yeah, yeah. That makes I sense. I think the most expensive card in the deck is Obero Minamo. No. So, Cryptic's got <laughs> more expensive than that. Those right? are like $17 each. 
So we're talking about a modern deck where the most expensive card is under twenty dollars. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot about cryptics. Yeah, cryptic. I say. I, it's just cryptics. Okay, which if and you have them already, are, everything else is pretty under yeah, the. Yeah, and those are twenty five dollars right now. They're not even that expensive right now. So honestly, not that expensive of a deck. All right, there you have it. All right, and that's kind of it for the episode. Uh, I want to thank uh, Corbin for coming on. Corbin, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at chostler88. I also stream on Twitch and uh, do occasional YouTube videos under that as well. Uh, I write every week, and man- I'm the content manager over at MTG Price, and I do um, coverage for Wizards of the Coast. So you'll see me running around typing up deck lists at events and stuff like that. Cool. Awesome. Uh, and as always, I am at Kess Wiley. I am at Ben Bateman Media. And if you want to talk to us on the internet and get in arguments with me, most likely, because I like arguing with people <laughs> mostly about how Blood Moon should be banned, uh, you should follow us on Twitter at the TheMMCast. <laughs> um, and last but not least, oh, make sure to check out the Command Zone. Jimmy and Josh, they do awesome Commander content. Um, they do it every week. They're also on RocketJump.com, as are we. That's where you can find all the stuff. If you want to see... Where to find Corbin, where are the deck list for this episode, any other stuff, we're also there. So make sure to check out rocketjump.com, and uh, we will see you guys next week. Yeah. Most likely with our uh, ban list actual, like, knowing what's happening. Yeah. It's possible <laughs> yeah. that this episode might come out after... When is the ban list re- restriction? Uh, not for... Two weeks? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's two, two weeks? weeks? Yeah. Two weeks. Two cool. Weeks. Okay. So... Th- guys, thank can... you again for having me on. Yeah, I really definitely. appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. Yeah. All right. Always fun. Thank you, everyone. We'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator.